0: live now. Hi, everybody. So I'll tell you a little secret. By the way, I gave this series about 11 years ago and I was teaching at mayor Before it was, It was called the JHC Jewish Richmond Center, and we called it Strong Jewish Woman. Um, I'm going to send you guys after. We did this little cute promo um, on one of our trips, and it's been literally like 10 years um, since I taught this, and I can't even explain to you like the amount of knowledge and information that has just, I'm not going to say that I I have learned over the last 10 years and how much it's deepened my classes, and I get to share that with you, and like, I'm so, so grateful for that, and I'm recognizing that, obviously, the more that you learn, the more information that you have, but as you learn, the depth of the information also grows, and like, it's not, I wouldn't just do it a simple level class, so this is very, very deep stuff, so I hope that you guys are all ready for this. So, what we left off last week is we spoke about the concept of prophecy, and then the concept that prophecy is something that is starting to maybe come back but it's also something from a different era but really what we're going to learn tonight is how the seven prophetesses and by the way this is incredible align the Shiva and align with the seven days of the week and they align with seven different spheros for example chesed Gavura, Yesod, Malchus, and we're going to go through all of them and they also align with the shivas Haminim, which are the seven fruits that we have that come from the land of israel so there's really really deep incredible stuff and we're going to try to get to some of it but i really want to focus on is the midah that sarah represents and that is the midah of chesed but before we understand this concept of why sarah correlates with chesed i want to give you like literally i try to time myself today to keep it to like 60 seconds of a review of the life of sarah you know like before you watch a show and you like you're up to season two and they're like previously on season one right so like i'm just gonna like Get you there right now with what happened to Sarah and then how we're going to talk about, and then we're going to talk about how and why she relates to Chesed. So it goes like this. Sarah, not only is she the first of the seven prophetesses, she's also the first of the matriarchs, right? We have Sarah with Rachel, and Leah. Sarah is the one that's called out as a prophetess. And she's also the first of the matriarchs. So in order to understand who she and where she like where she came from, let's just hear her history. And I'm going to look at my timer right now. We're going to go 60 seconds. Okay, Sarah, she was married to her uncle, who was Avram. His name was Avram before Avraham. Okay, yes. Interesting note, Avram was her uncle. Okay, her brother's name was Lot. Remember the story, Sodom and Lot? That was Sarah's brother. Sarah marries Avram. Okay, and they live in a city called Fort which was modern day Mesopotamia, which nowadays, by the way, is Iran, okay, or maybe Iraq, not sure, Um, Mesopotamia, and she lived during an era of the Bronze Age, okay, so think like world history, Bronze Age, that's what we were talking about. She, together with her husband, Abram they discover monotheism. This is before Hashem spoke to anybody. They recognize that there's one person in this world who runs everything, and therefore they clung to that belief, and they taught the people, and they converted the masses. Sarah taught the women, and... Um, Avram taught the men. So they have this mass following, of people who believe in monotheism. You have to remember that most people in the world back then even did idol worship, okay? Remember, idol worship goes together with prophecy. Remember we spoke about that last week? So they convert the masses. At 75, Avram was 75, Sarah was 65. They hear a call from God, actually God spoke to Avram. He said, Lech Lecha, you should leave your hometown. And then you should go to the land that I will show you. They then pick up and they leave. By the way, side note, they don't take any of the people that they were converted. They, they're told just to go on their own. They pack their bags. They make a hashtag and they go. And they get out there. And they are now in the city of Canaan. They get to Canaan, which is, by the way, the land of Israel. And there was a hunger. I see I'm already over sixty minutes, 60 seconds. Um, please bear with me. So they get there and there's a hunger. So they get, they go down to Egypt so they can get food and they can get drinks. And meanwhile, Sarah is very beautiful to look at. So Avram tell, tells everyone, this is my sister, okay, so that they don't kill him and murder him and then take Sarah's wife. And Pyro says, too bad, I'm going to take her anyway. Takes her into the palace for one night. What ends up happening is that he gets afflicted by leprosy. And he's like, who is this woman? Oh my gosh, take her away. And Avram says, well, that's my wife. And he's like, why do not you tell me? And then he realizes, Pyro realizes that, hmm, Avram and Sarah, they must be somebody special. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you with much gifts and much money and everything. And then I also want you to take my daughter. Her name is Hagar. And I want you to take her. And better for her to be a maidservant in your home than to be a princess in my home. So they pack their bags again, hashtag, um, they go back to the land of Israel. They take along with them Hagar. And there, Abram is promised that he's going to have a huge nation. He has something called the brisque in Habsarim, which was a covenant that Hashem promised him. He's going to have many children. And then and he goes, and now he's in the land of Israel, so no children. So there's actually another story where Sarah gets taken by another king, but we're not going to get into that. She's, she just has like a bad, you know, history of being taken with kings. Um, with Avi and a similar story happened, and she got sent back home. And now she's in Israel, and she's waiting to have this child that she's promised. And she doesn't have a child. So she offers Hagar to Avram. Avram then takes her as a wife, and she says, Maybe with you, I'll be able to have a child. So they do that. And guess what? Hagar gets pregnant right away, and she becomes really like an evil stuff of to Sarah. And Sarah sends her away. She ends up coming back, and then she gets sent away again when. Sarah herself has a child, and that child is having a negative influence. And Abraham is told by Hashem that whatever Sarah says, heed her voice so that you know that even though he's your son, you still need to send him away. Okay? A few years later, Yitzchak is 37 years old. He's taken up to be sacrificed. Sarah hears the news, passes out, and she dies. And she leaves this world, and she lives for 127 years. Okay, so... That was four minutes, okay? I apologize, I was looking at the time. But I wanted to give you just a little bit of a recap of what her life was so that we could delve into this concept of chasseh. Okay, so now what we're gonna pick out from here, from this little story that I was telling you, was that it's a very difficult topic to hear that Sarah afflicted hunger, okay? Because if she represents this midah of that I've been telling you about, what does it mean that she sent away Hagar, and Ishmael. And by the way, we read in the story that she sent them away with nothing, no food, nothing. And Avraham and Sarah were very, very wealthy. And they shipped them off with nothing. They said, off at their head, they sent them out, and that was it. So that's very strange for us. So we're gonna to try to understand that it's a little bit of a contradiction to who they represented, to who they really were. So let's try to understand this. Friend of you, who have taken my classes. You know that I always go back to the beginning in order to understand anything. So now we're gonna go really back to the beginning. We're gonna take a little time machine and we're gonna go back to the story of creation with Adam and Chava. Okay. So it goes like this. Hashem created the world in seven days. Okay, on the sixth day, he brought Adam and Chava into this world, right before Shabbos, they were created. And he tells them, You could eat from everything, but from this tree of good and um, from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from this tree. What ends up happening is that Adam gets the message. He passes the message on to Chava. Chava hears it. Then the snake gets into her mind and the snake says, oh, maybe you could touch it. And she touches it. Lo and behold, she eats from the tree and then she shares it with Adam. Now, many things happened because of the sin. A lot of things ended up happening. But what most importantly happened was that before the sin, okay, pre-sin, good and evil were separate entities they were totally separate from each other however after the sin good and evil became intertwined and they are no longer recognizable as clear separate entities and what that means is that everything that's good has some evil in it and everything of evil has some good in it so it's like you have to be able to pull out those things and our job here on this earth is to Separate the good and the evil. And to pull out the evil from good, okay? Because sometimes there's good and you have to pull the evil out. Sometimes there's evil and you have to be able to take it, you have to find the good. So how do we do that? I'm gonna give you an example, by the way. I'm gonna give you an example of this. It tells us that you're not allowed to marry anybody from the nation of Moab, right? The Torah gives an example. You're not allowed to marry anybody from the nation of Moab. However, what do we know? Who came from Moab, who just had a holiday? Oh, you're w- all even. sorry. Ruth, w- right? W- Ruth comes from Moab. So Ruth is one of the examples of pulling something evil out of, pulling something good out of evil. Do you understand that? She comes from a nation that's evil, primarily evil. We're not allowed to marry into them. We're not allowed to have anything to do with them. However, because Ruth was in that, mixed into that evil, our job is to sift through, find her, and pull her out. Okay, do you understand that? We have that down? Okay, so now let's try to understand a little bit about Sarah. okay? And a little bit about this concept of chesed. So after that sin happened, the other generations, they tried to with keep up the world, okay? And how do we hold up the world? After this sin happened, it was really bad. There are three pillows that the world stands on, okay? So we have Torah, Avoda, and Gamilos Hasadim. Okay, we have Torah, which is the study of Torah, Avoda, which is prayer and also sacrifices. And Gmir Chasadim are acts of kindness. Now the world stand the world needs those three pillars to stand. And if we do not have those three pillars, the world gets destroyed. See the story of Noah and the Ark, right? The world's got destroyed. After, after Noah stayed in the Teva, there were certain people who tried to withhold hold up the world with certain pillars, and Noah was an example. Noah did it for the world of Chesed. Noah, for one full year, 24 7, he was sitting in that ark with those animals. He was holding up the world of Chesed. His son, Shane, actually, Shane the Eber, they had, um uh, uh, what's it called, the yeshiva. Okay. And that's where, by the way, where Yaakov went to go study years later. So he was a pillar of Avodah. He was trying to hold up the world with Torah and with Avodah, which doing. Doing um, sacrifices, so there were people, there were individuals who tried to hold up the world. But with Abraham and Sarah, a different era began. Okay, a world, a new era, a new beginning began with Abraham and Sarah. And you should just know that they were tested in ways. Okay, and you could learn the stories of Abraham and Sarah. They were tested in ways that nobody else was tested. They were sent to, you know, to to take the son that they were supposed to have children from and they were supposed to bring him up for a sacrifice. They were supposed to leave their hometown. They were tested in Egypt with Sarah being taken away by, by all these kings, right? So there were a lot of difficulties they went through, but what they were doing was they were correcting the sin of Adam and Chava through rectifying Torah, Avoda, and Gamil's Hassan. Okay, and we're gonna discuss how they rectify it like this. Okay. So Avram and Sarah, like we said, they went through all these tests. So the first thing that they were tested was with Torah, okay? We know that the first test was Lechel okay? Leave everything behind and go. So like I said, you know, I was making a joke, they made a little hashtag, they packed up their stuff. Like, to me, if someone tells you you're going on a journey, like, I'm very spontaneous like that, I'm like, get my bags get my backpack i put my little fanny pack i pack you know my up here extra pair of sunglasses like i'm ready to go road trip like i'm in there you know that. um for those of you who like to hang out with me you can totally join on a road trip so for me like on a superficial level like this doesn't seem like such a major test that they would have go and move from one place to another not so bad but hashem tells them when you go I don't want you to take the people that you brought towards Torah. The people that recognized Hashem through you, you got to leave them behind. And they are saying, like, what do you mean? I taught them so much Torah. We taught them so much Torah. How could it be that we we can't bring them along? Like, these people are our family. You know those people you connect with over Torah, your chavrusas. Anybody you connected, those become your family. So how could it be that I'm just leaving them? It wasn't so simple. But Hashem was saying, when you do something like that, why do you teach Torah? So I would respond, why do I teach Torah? Because Torah is the truth, right? This is real stuff. This, what I'm teaching you right now, this is real stuff. But he's saying, Hashem is saying, no, you only do it because I tell you to do it, because Hashem wants you to do it. And you know what? If I tell you to stop and move to another neighboring country, then you do that and you go. So if Hashem says no, then you don't. So by doing that, they actually passed the test and they corrected something that was a big mistake that happened in the time of Adam and Chava. What are they correcting? Let's say it made sense, right? When Adam was eating from the tree, he didn't do it for the taste of the fruit. He felt that it was true. If I eat from the tree of knowledge, then it's going to give me the option for more bakhira, right? Like we always, we always talk about this and we've spoken about this when we talk about Bechira that Adam eating from the tree actually allowed for more free will to happen because now good and evil is like a little bit blurred. So Adam was like, "Hmm, maybe I'm doing a good thing. but Hashem is saying, no, I told you not to eat from the tree. And because you didn't listen, now you're being punished. So by them listening to Hashem at this point, because like, what do you mean? I told all these people Torah, they should be with me. They should be with my family. And Hashem says, no, they actually went beyond human nature. And they now are rectifying that part of Torah, okay? So, and it actually, it's very interesting because it says that when Sarah was taken in the, she was taken into the palace of the kings, she was in not just Paro's palace, but also Abimelech's palace. When she was there with those two kings, it said she prayed out, she called out to Hashem and she begged Hashem and she said, please, Avram b'haftacha va'ani be'amuna, That you promised Abram that we're gonna have many children. I didn't hear that, but I believe it. And because I have amuna." I want you to take me out of here. In the merit of my faith, I should be saved. And really, it's all based on listening. She only listened to Abram. She listened to Abram, who Hashem had told her. So there was like, you know when you hear something from the source, you're like, oh, I'm going to believe that. But when you hear it from a friend, it's a little watered down, and maybe it's okay, right? Like, for example, when Chava told Adam, you know, like you could touch the tree, maybe you could eat the fruit, so it was watered down. And here Sarah saying, I am fixing that sin that they made. Because even though I didn't hear it directly from Hashem, that I'm going to have a great nation, that I'm going to have children, I still believe it because you told Hashem. So that way she dedicated her life to these converts and then she left them all. Avram and Sarah then perfected Torah. Okay. Now let's go to Chesed, which is the epitome of who Sarah was. Okay. And it's very interesting. There's a lot of stories how we can see that Sarah was the epitome of chesed. She was always so kind to the women. She always brought them into their house. Even idol worshipers, by the way, they brought idol worshipers into their house just to give them food. And there are very like a lot of stories reported in the Torah where Abram went and he brought them good food and he brought them not just like, he brought them the best meat and he made them fresh bread and he was always looking, he was always out there for their people. So what we can learn from Sarah and Avram was at their tent. You know, we learned this. It's very famous that their tent was open on four sides to all these people. So she was the epitome of us. So let's try to understand what happened here with Hagar because sending somebody out is, that's not an act of kindness. That's shooing somebody away. Okay. So let's try to understand. So Sarah knew that she was supposed to have a child. Okay. She was waiting and waiting and she still didn't have a child. Okay. You have to imagine she's 90 years old. Okay. So at 65, she was told to leave at a certain point. Hashem promised them through the Brisbane of i that they're going to be eugenation and that she's going to have a lot of children. She's still waiting for this child. Then they say the angels come to the tent and they say, Oh, you're also just, you're going to have a child. Sarah's going to have a child. That's actually, by the way, when she left, she was like, how could it be? Like, I don't even have a womb. You know that Sarah was created without a womb. She wouldn't even be able to hold a child. So what she, she's like, listen. it could be that I maybe physically won't have a child. However, what if I take Humber, let her be a vessel for me to have a child. I never heard directly that it's supposed to be from me. I just heard that we are going to have a great nation. So maybe it will be from me taking action. I need to take action. Did she go to a fertility specialist? Did she do IVF? Did she do all that stuff? No, no, no. She said... You know, I, I, obviously, this is not meant to be. Like, I don't have a womb. I'm not going to have a child. Hashem stopped me from giving birth. But I still have to further this idea, and I want to understand it better. So what does she say? She said, such a good idea. I'm going to take my maid servant, and I'm going to have a child through her, right? The like, was like, this is like a, this is an olden day uh, handmaiden's tale, right? Um, I'm going to have a child through her. If any of you watch that show, I hope you got that joke. Because if not, I think it's awful. I read the book, and I'm like, Literally traumatized. So I was not able to watch the show. I only read the book. Um, So she's thinking, what does Hashem want from me? Okay. He wants, it's a call for me to do something. So she takes action. And by the way, we learned from Sarah that you're supposed to take action. I see Elizabeth, I see your message, but I'm going to get to it after. Sorry. She takes action. Because and this, we learn that if you see that things are not going your way, you're supposed to do what we call your look. You're supposed to take action. Like you could be like, oh, well, I'm gonna get married. So I'm just gonna sit there and wait for a guy to knock on my door and bring me a bouquet of roses. No, Listen, you don't have to go on The Bachelor, but you do have to make some effort. You have to reach out to somebody, a matchmaker, somebody to help you to get married. And that's doing your hisshadlut. So the same thing is like this. She's thinking, what is the shem one from? It's a call to do something. So she takes Havar and she says, maybe I will give birth through her. Okay, maybe if he takes Havar as a wife, it will cause me to have children. And believe me, this was not an easy situation. You're married to somebody for 60 years and all of a sudden you take your maidservant. It's not a very simple thing. And by the way, I try to tell you that initially it's brought down that there are four things that make the earth tremble that there are like some really, really, really bad things, okay? And one of those bad things is that the maidservant becomes your, she succeeds and becomes the main wife of the home. So now imagine this. Imagine your maidservant inherits and replaces the mistress, right? So I, like I said, I didn't watch Handmaid's Tale, but I think that's really what happens. I read the book. But I think that does, that is kind of what happens, that it's something terrible that the earth can't handle so here she is, taking her maidservant and making her the making her a wife out of it. So now, obviously, this was not an easy thing to do, and she does it. And what ends up happening is that her, that becomes pregnant right away. And now, I just want to tell you, this is just like a side note that when Sarah was around, okay, this was thousands of years ago. Sarah was her name meant princess. Sarah means princess. Sarai means my princess. But eventually, she her name changed to Sarah because she became a princess. And she was a princess. People came to see her. People greeted her. She sat on a chair, like, you know, like a bride before her wedding, right? Like by the, Badakian, the theater part Peter the wedding when they come, right? If you're sorry, they don't do that. By Ashkenaz wedding, they do do that, right? So she would you'd sit there on a couch and people would come greet you. People would come for blessings. And Sarah always included Hugger. She said, oh, you came to me for a blessing? Come to Hugger. Hagar's sitting right over here. She's an amazing person, too. You should also get a blessing from Hugger. Get it. And like, you would think, like, what? Well, that's her amazing. Like, but she treated her like she was a princess, too. And she was a princess, but she was a maid servant now in a princess home. So she really, really felt that through Hugger, this could be a suitable mother, maybe for the Jewish nation. So what ends up happening, though, is that right, right when she becomes pregnant, Hugger. She's a little sneaky hugger, and she says, oh, how? she laughs. She goes, oh, see, look who the righteous wife was all along. It was me. You're married, to Abram for 60 years, one night, and I'm pregnant. Look at that. It must be that I am the mother of the Jewish nation, and I am going to have these children. And you can imagine how Sarah felt. She was doing this, and now she was treating her like garbage. And she was so hurt by it, not for her own personal reasons, but she was hurt by it because she felt it would be a chol Hashem. Because when the desecration of Hashem's name, because when people came to the home, she would say, Oh, Sarah, yeah, she's just an old maid over there, right? She's like, Oh, she can't even be bear the children. I'm going to be the mother. And it was a desecration of Hashem's names, le Hashem for Sarah, because there was no way that people were recognizing Sarah for who she really was. So Hagar started acting like she's the mother of the Jewish nation, she got this, and the whole situation in the household changed, and now Sarah became the mistress, and Sarah became the maidservant, and now she became a wife. So a woman like Sarah, who was so incredible, to give her to Avram and realize this was a huge halashem, she was really, really afraid, and what ends up happening is that she sends her away. She afflicts her with pain, and she sends her away. Now, what that pain was and what she ended up doing, we're not going to get into that, but it was really, really a very difficult situation. She sends her away. Hagar leaves the house, and she's pregnant, and she's crying on the side of the road. And an angel comes over and says, Hagar, taps on the shoulder and says, Hagar, I want to tell you something. Go back home, and I want you to bear the affliction that Sarah is giving to you because you are not to be the matriarch of the Jewish people. So go home. So she goes home. And she bears whatever affliction that was. And later on in the story, Sarah, Sarah at this point, becomes pregnant. And now she gives birth to a son, and his name is Yitzchak. Okay. Yitzchak's getting a little bit older, and Ishmael is quite a troublemaker. He's actually a hunter. It says that he, he actually committed the three carnal sins, okay, adultery, murder, and idol worship. And he was a really, really bad influence. And what ends up happening is that... Bye-bye, right? Again, second time around, she ends up getting kicked out of the house. And this time, Avram says, ooh, I'm not sure, you know, he's my son. I don't know what to do. And Sarah says the very famous words, it's time for him to go. And he needs to leave and pack his bags. And Hashem said, you know what? Avram said, you know what? I don't feel so comfortable. I, I, I just feel like he's my son and I don't know what to do. And Hashem says, very famous words, whatever Sarah says, heed her voice, listen to Sarah. And from there, we learn that Sarah's prophecy was greater than Avraham's because Avraham was unsure what to do. And Hashem said, whatever Sarah says, you have to listen. Okay, now if I were to ask you between me and you, which one was harder for Sarah to do? Sarah is the epitome of chasseh. Which one is hard for her to do? To give Hagar as a wife to Avraham or to drive Hagar away? I'm going to tell you, because I know we only have five more minutes, that it was sending Hugger away that was much, much harder. It went against her nature. Imagine someone who's always so kind and giving and has to shoo their guests away, has to end the party early, send them out, okay? So you're all, now I'm just going to publicly invite everyone to my backyard, to my pool and have a pool party. So, because you know that I just love having people, everyone coming to my house. The hardest part for me is when I have to send the people off. I don't want anybody to leave. I want the party to continue. So it was very, very hard for Sarah. But what happened was when Sarah recognized that even though it may look good, okay, remember we said you have to draw the evil out of good? Even though it may look good, there is significant amount of evil. The ratio of evil here is much higher than the good. And that needs to be drawn out and they need to go. And as much as Avram begged and pleaded and said, he's my son, he's coming for me, he's a patriarch. Sarah said, no, no, no. There is, there is good stuff. There is good stuff that comes from Yishmael and from Hagar. Hagar eventually, she did teshuva and she was good and she, was, and, and she had many other children with Avraham. But that evil, she recognized that evil. And I just want to tell you that, remember how we were saying that good and evil mesh together? What's amazing is that the fact that Yishmael came from good, because he came from Avraham, he was part good and part evil, that actually allows us, to eventually overcome Yishma. And it also gives us the times in history where the Ishmaelim, the Arabs, were good to us. And there were times that the Arabs were better to us than the Christians, okay, during the during the Spanish Inquisition. The Arabs were there for us. During that era, the Arabs were actually better for us than during the Crusades. And that is all because there is some good mixed in that evil. And the fact that we will eventually one day be able to destroy all of, of our enemies, especially the Arabs, will be able to destroy Ishmael because they were, there is some good in there. So even though there's good and evil, there's blended together. So by Sarah sending out Hagar and Ishmael, she rectified Kimilot She rectified the idea of chesed. Because even though chesed is like, come oh, everybody into my ass, into my tank, pool party, everything, knowing when it's over and when they need to leave was rectifying the sin and rectifying the idea of chesed and i'm just going to end with this last law because i know we don't have that much time but i don't want to leave you hanging with avoda and it goes like this the last one avoda is prayer and sacrifice what do we know when when yitzhak was 37 years old he was taken up to be brought as a sacrifice by avram avram said take your son the only son the one that was born to sarah and go bring him up as a sacrifice and that was very 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 difficult for him to do because he was like the whole jewish nation is supposed to come from me from this guy. And now I'm bringing him up as sacrifice. And what happened was he was brought up, he was brought up to be as the Akedah, the Akedah Yitzchak. And it says that Yitzchak, the angel of death came and knocked on Sarah's door and said, Sarah, do you know where your husband is? And she's like, no, I think she went in, he went out for a walk with my son, with Yitzchak. And she said, no, do you want to see what's happening? And he actually showed her a vision of Abraham standing there with a knife in his hand and Yitzchak being bound to be brought up as a sacrifice. And it says that her neshama left her and she died at that moment in 127 years. And it's crazy. It's a crazy concept. But what Sarah realized, okay, deep down, she realized that this is her way This is the way of rectifying Avoda. And she was brought down into this earth to do that. Her and Avram were there to do that. And she realized that she reached a level of perfection that nobody else has done. And her husband was willing to nullify himself before Hashem. What she did was she and herself ended up being the sacrifice. She elevated Avoda and rectified Avoda by her soul leaving this world. Because we know, between me and you, we know Yitzchak stayed alive and Yitzchak had children and then Yaakov had children. Now we have the Jewish nation. But when her soul left this world she rectified that idea of avodah so that we're gonna and i'm gonna leave you here i know we have to go with the tutors what i want to show you is that through abram and sarah's life and specifically sarah she was able to rectify the idea of torah and and with that the world was able to continue and last thought is that she actually represents sunday she's the first of the week and what we know about judaism is that the first of the week and the end of the week always coincide And it says that Sarah lived 127 years. Who is the last of the prophetesses? Esther. How many cities did Esther eventually rule over together with HaKashverosh? Everybody out loud? 127. So Sarah and Esther have a connection. And Sarah's Sarah's food that she represents in the land of Israel is wheat. And wheat is the basics of everything. And wheat actually represents the act of chaser and of giving so i'm going to end here because i know that we have to let the tutors go hold on one second there's like so much information going on in my brain right now and i wish i can continue to share more with you because there's so much involved in this but just knowing this idea that sarah was able to rectify those three things in her 127 years is like for me brains on the floor and we didn't even get to half of the stories of sarah what an incredible person she was but Nalini prepared amazing, amazing source sheets. And you are going to break up now into tutors and you're going to learn. Tali, I feel bad. You could unmute everybody or you just going to let them go like that. Um, I, I really, really appreciate it. I hope, I, I'm sorry if you went overtime and to all the tutors. There's just so much information. So I Wait. just didn't this. Yes. Should I go to those And You have really good questions on the chat. Oh, okay. Kali, what do you, what do you oh, think? What do think? have time? minutes to do that? yeah let me mm, okay yeah. so if adam was the first Jew. was sarah the first jewish woman so avraham yes sarah was the first jewish woman okay because what we learn is that we think that adam and chava are like all the adam and chava are the beginning of creation but adam and chava not necessarily jewish but yes, yeah, she was the first jewish woman um oh well, this is a good question did she convert how was the first jewish she was the first jewish woman so basically when avram show avram and sarah they recognized that there's a god in this world they became the first people to understand monotheism. Now, really, the first Jews are the ones that we got, the Jews that stood by Har Sina. So to say that we were the first Jews is maybe not the right answer. Maybe Mary can help me with that one. But because really, we became the Jewish nation at Har Sina. So up until then, they were people who recognized monotheism and also people who accepted the Torah and mitzvahs. Because Abram and Sarah, they kept all the mitzvahs. Sarah kept Shabbos and kosher and the mikvah. Sarah was, and we didn't even get into this, Sarah kept, Sarah made challah every single week. Sarah and Avram, they they kept Pesach. So yes, they were definitely, they kept the mitzvot, but to say if they were the first Jews, I would say that probably the first Jews were at Mount Sinai. Okay. I think, I think, Vicki, just to add to that also, the idea of Avram as the first Jew is like there's... There's that the idea of a Jew, which Avram started, which is being separate and having a monotheistic ideology that comes with certain right, ways. like Avram Avri, right? Exactly, right? Yes. Avram was called Avram Avri, which means like the one who is on the other side. So, mm-hmm. which is where we got the word Ivrim, which is where Hebrews come from. That concept of Hebrews. So. Sarah in that way was on that team, but the Jews in a non-conceptual, practical, national way, like they are saying, that didn't actually come until Sinai. Okay, perfect. Okay, how did she know that she's going to have a womb? So she was born, it's brought down in the that she was born without a rechem. A rechem is the Hebrew word for a womb. She did not have the ability to hold children. And then it says, it's like she was like in a constant state of like menopause, literally. So in order for her to have a child, Hashem brought back this idea of her period so she was able to have children. And to the point where she was even able to nurse children, um, nurse Yitzchak, and that was amazing. I don't think she knew she had bloom. She feels that she was having trouble continuing. I, think that uh, I have a follow-up question. The Pool party, yes, post-COVID, yes. Um, so she never had a period until like she was 90? So there's an idea that she did have it, but then it stopped. There's different Medrashim. There's a lot of Medrashim on what the actual issue was, if she was able to have children. Because then we also learned that she kept Samish facha So if she kept Samish facha then she must have had her period, because that's the whole idea of impurity. So there are different madrashim and different answers as to what it was, but she definitely had trouble conceiving and having children. And then probably at a certain point, I would assume that she just gave up, that she thought that she were not to have a child. That's when she brought hug her into the picture. Okay. Okay? love we'll to
1: Makes stop. Make
0: are waiting, but figures you're the best. Okay.